Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church Podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. Mark chapter 16 is where we're going to be working out of this week. And so if you have your Bibles with you or your phones or your tablets or whatever it is that you may want to follow along in Scripture with, if you would like to follow along, Mark chapter 16 is where we're going to be looking at. And we're, we're wrapping up our sermon series this week called First. Um, we've been talking over the last several weeks about what does it mean for us to put God first in our lives? What does it mean for us to, to make God's priority of him being first? We, we read in scripture two weeks ago about how God makes a point of saying he doesn't just want to be first, but God commands that we put him first over everything. And so we talked about what it means that when God gives his commands, he says the first of everything, we read it in Leviticus, the first of everything is mine. And so we've been talking about, okay, so, so what does that mean? And last week, we, we talked about the, this, this moment in the life of a woman named Mary, where she is just so overcome by gratitude and thankfulness to Jesus that, that she pours this incredible, valuable perfume on Jesus' feet. And we're, we learn that it's a year's wages worth of value that she just pours out. And we see this, these two spirits, these, these two ways of viewing the world, these, these two understandings of the world around us that shape what it means to put God first. We see in, in Mary's life this, this, this spirit, this heart of generosity that says, I, what, I'm going to give my best, my most, the most valuable thing I have, I'm going to give that to Jesus. But we saw in the same moment this, this spirit of reluctance in the life of, of Judas who says, not incorrectly, he says, you know how much good that that perfume could have, like if you would have sold it and, and given it to the poor, it could have done so much good. And what we talked about last time was how Judas was, was in a lot of ways right. That it could have done so good. But he was right, but he missed the point and how we need to live with the spirit of generosity in our life towards God that, that as we live out of this grateful place towards God, there's no, nothing that he can ask for that's too big. There's nothing that, that he can look to receive from us that we would go, I don't know if he deserves that. But that we as, as a people would, would say, whatever, whatever I have, God, it's yours. And we see that in Mary with her most valuable possession. Whatever I have is yours. And so this week we're going to bring this series to, the clo to a close. Now next week we're going to begin a series that will probably take us all the way through till, July, or till the beginning of July anyway. And we're going to talk all about healing. And we're going to talk about what it means to be healed from the Lord. As we've, we've talked a number of times this year about how as we come out of this season of COVID and as we come out of, of lockdowns and all of these kinds of things that, that we really need the Lord to do a deep healing work in our lives. Not, not just a physical healing because 
because of, of what may be going on in our bodies, but, but an emotional healing and a spiritual healing and just a healing from all of the things that we've endured over the last couple of years. And so we're going to be talking all about that for the next couple of weeks after this week. But this week we're going we're gonna to close out talking about keeping God first and this idea of putting God first in our lives, allowing God to be first and then understanding how to live that out in every single area of our lives. And what I want to tell you this morning is that this, this, this idea of putting God first, it comes ultimately down to one question. And the answer to that one question will determine all of the other things. If, how you answer this question will determine whether or not you place God first in your life or not. It all comes down to this one question. It's a question that you probably know the answer to. That this isn't going to be some kind of trick question as I share with you. The question, you're not going to be like, I don't know how to answer that. We're all probably, if you grew up in the church, even if this is your first time ever darkening the door for a church, I'm guessing by now you will be able to guess the answer to this question as I ask it to you. But like so many things in life, it's not knowing the right answer but it's living the right answer. That I know the right answer to so many questions, but, but it's not just about the simple knowledge of something. It's living it out. It's living the answer. And the question, the question that we all have to answer, and the question of, is God first in our lives? The question that we have to answer is, is Jesus alive today? And you probably know what you're supposed to say to that. You're supposed to say yes. That, yeah, that's right. We're supposed to say yes. That is Jesus alive today? Well, yes, yes. That that's the right answer. That's what I'm supposed to I'm supposed to say. And so, as we talk about this in your life, do you do you see Jesus as alive? It's easy to answer yes, yes, I do. But we're going to talk about not just knowing the answer, but but. What does it mean to know the answer? What does it mean to know like Jesus is alive? What does it mean to live like Jesus is alive? And so if we go to Mark chapter 16, um, in this passage, Jesus is giving the disciples the Great Commission. Now, if you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 16 or turn on your tablets to Mark chapter 16, um, what you may notice is that the second half or probably the last two-thirds of Mark chapter 16 are all written in italics in your Bible. That, that The font style changes a little bit. And what you need to know about that is that there's, there is some confusion in sort of the history and the journey that the Bible's taken of, of if the last few chapters of Mark, or the last few chapters, the last few verses of Mark chapter 16, they, they, it doesn't appear in all of the oldest manuscripts when it comes to, to the Bible. And so as we, as we navigate even this story here, um, we're going to look at these verses here, and because they're in the Bible, we're going to trust that the Lord guided his word to be created in the way that it is. But if you're wondering, if you're turning in your Bible and you see, how come this is written in italics, or how come it's written funny, or how come there's a little, little line above some of these verses here is that's why that there, there's some some confusion about whether or not these verses go all the way back to the original manuscripts because some seem to have it and some don't 
But in Mark chapter 16, Jesus has risen from the dead and he's going to ascend back into heaven. But before he does, he, he gives a charge to his disciples and to all of the followers that would come after them, to, to us included, that there's this moment where he speaks to his disciples, but really he's not speaking to his disciples. He, he's speaking to them, but he's speaking to all of his followers for all time after that. And so we can turn there and read in the Great Commission, but I don't, I don't want to start there. I want to start just before Jesus will say, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Because I want to set the scene for you, because the scene is really what we need to take away from this. So we're going to go just back up to Mark chapter 16, verse 14. And it will say to this, afterward, he, he is Jesus, so we're talking about Jesus here. Afterward, he appeared to the 11 themselves. The 11 themselves being the followers of Jesus. Now, Judas isn't with them. Um, as you may be aware, after Judas's betrayal and all of that, the, the grief and the guilt of everything he did caused him to take his own life. And so by this point, Judas is, is dead. He's, he, he's taken his own life. And the 11 disciples are gathered together waiting to, to figure out what's going to happen with Jesus. And so the 11 are gathered there. And this is important. I want to highlight this for you because what I want to make sure that you're aware, because you need to keep this in the forefront of your mind as we journey through everything we're going to talk about this morning, because it's key to our understanding. But remember, this is Jesus' core guys. These are, his, these are his, his 11 disciples. These are his closest followers. It's not a main group. There's different points in scripture where we'll read about the groups that are following Jesus. There's, there's times when there's thousands of people. There's times where it talks about 72 followers. But this is his, his core knit 12. This is the disciples we read about. It's the 11 closest people to Jesus on earth. No one was closer to Jesus than these 11 guys, his, his closest followers, his best friends. And you need to remember that because as we talk about what's going to take place here, that's going to need to be in the forefront of your mind. The verse goes on to say, as they were reclining at the table. So afterwards, he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at the table. Now, church, this is a picture of the point we're going to drive home this week. I, I think that for many of us, this could be a picture of where we are in our relationship with God. We're, we're reclined at the table of our relationship with God. We're, we're leaned back inside of our relationship with God. We're, we're watching the world go by. Maybe as COVID has happened, we've become disengaged and disconnected or unplugged, but, but we're pulled back from our engagement with God. Live, living life, being a Christian, being a part of a church family from the sidelines, just, just letting the world happen around us. Things like our neighbors, our finances, our prayer life, our world, we're just leaned back and not engaged. And we can be guilty of just sitting back. And I think that God wants to speak to some people in our church today that it's time for us as a people to, to stop leaning back. It's time to get up, and it's time to get engaged. You know that, that feeling 
When you're reclined in a in way back, you, you, you know, you've got the lazy boy with your feet up and you're leaned back and it's a super, super comfy leather chair. And somebody calls you and says, it's time, it's time to get up. It's real hard to spring into action. That you're kind of flail around like a fish trying to get your feet to go down because you can't really put any pressure because it's also so squishy. As, as Yvonne and I have been preparing to move, one of the things that we did was we bought a new bed. And we went to the bed store. And they had us lay on all kinds of beds to try and figure out which one was the right bed for us. And there was a couple of beds where you laid on them and you sunk right down inside of them. And then they're like, now get up and try this new bed. And that was an awkward moment because I'm like, I can't get, it's like a memory phone thing. So I'm like sunk like right down and I can't even like roll over. And they had to like really work to get out of bed, which is probably not what you want. You don't need an excuse to stay in bed longer. That if it gets too hard to get out of bed, maybe I'll just stop trying and I'll just stay in bed more. Um, but it, you, you, there's these, these moments where, where we have to get up from this place that's comfortable. And that's what God is calling some of us today. To, to time, time, it's time to start the fish flail in your life. To start flailing like a fish a little bit. To, to get up from this really comfy, reclined place that we're in. And God is calling us to sit up and to get up and fight for the things that God has called us to. A life that God has called us to live. See, God isn't calling us to, to live and rest on our laurels. Or rest on the things that we have done. Or rest on the things just that we know. Or to rest on our religiousness. Or to rest on our own righteousness. To, to just sit back and watch some stuff. But God calls us to action, to get out of this unbelief mentality and to live where we believe. Back to the verses. It says, and he rebuked them. So remember, who, who are we talking about here? Let's just check in really quick. Jesus is 11 closest guys, right? So he shows up to them. They're reclined at the table and he rebukes them. Have you ever been rebuked before? You ever had somebody come into your life and tell you how wrong you are? Have you ever been rebuked publicly before? Have you ever been rebuked publicly with an entire group of people where you're all wrong? That's heavy. That's harsh. You know, to, to, to be sitting there and suddenly Jesus shows up and any excitement you have of, well, Jesus is here. Immediately he starts to rebuke them. Oof. Well, Jesus is rebuking his disciples. He, he's calling them out. He's calling them on their stuff. And what is it that he's rebuking them for? It says he began to rebuke them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. If you boil this rebuke down to his basics, the disciples had stopped living like Jesus was alive. And when people told them, no, 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 he's alive, they continued to live as if their God was dead. It didn't matter what people told them. It didn't matter that, that the women at the tomb came and said, we saw Jesus and he appeared to us. They... they it's too much for us to believe. The lives they were living, the way they did their lives, was not reflective of the truth that their God was alive. 
And Jesus wasn't having it. He wasn't going to let them live from that place. That it had only been a couple of days and they'd already moved away from so much of what they knew to be true. And Jesus steps in and says, we're not doing this. We're going to stop right away. And church, when it comes to our lives, when it comes to our understanding of who God is, when it comes to the way that we live, when it comes to our evangelism, when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our finances, when it comes to loving our neighbors, when it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to being the light in the world, we can sometimes be guilty of having a hard heart to the truth that our God is alive. We can be guilty of, of living our lives and looking at our lives, our lives, our, our lives, uh, looking at our lives through a lens. Too many L's. I should think about these things when I write them. We can be guilty of looking at our lives and the world around us through a lens of a God who was alive. That we can look and we can, I know Jesus was alive. But we can sometimes not really be willing to walk out our lives like God is alive. What do I mean? I mean, I think that we can look at our neighbors and our friends and the people we're in relationship with and think, they'll never come to church. They'll never get saved. They're, they're too far gone. I would love to invite them to church, but they're not, they're not going to come. If I ask them to come to church, they're just going to laugh at me and be like, no, I'm not coming with you. That's crazy. I don't want to go there. And, and we make a choice about someone's potential spiritual destiny because we're really not sure that God's going to work in their lives. We're really not sure that God is working in their lives. That we, we say, oh, they'll, they'll never come, and so we don't ask, and so they never come. We think to ourselves, I can't afford to tithe. It's not in the budget. My financial situation simply will not allow it. But we forget the promises that, that God made to us about his provision, about him being our source and him looking out for us. And we make a choice about God and his blessings in our lives because we're just really not so sure if God's actually going to do what God said he was going to do. And we read the promises of God and we go, yeah, but, but what if he doesn't? But, but what if he doesn't follow through? What if, what if he can't do what he said he's going to do? We can live our lives from a place where we say, I don't think God can make a difference here. This, this is too big even for him. I mean, there's miracles, sure. But then there's things like this. But remember, if, if you were here with us last week, and if you weren't, we talked about a God who raised people from the dead. And as Tracy talked about, and as we talked about last week, that same God is alive in us today. That it's not something that we just remember that, hey, isn't it neat that Jesus used to do these kinds of things? But we serve a God who still does 
these kinds of things. And we, we can come to these places where, where we, we know what's true, but we don't want to live it out because what if it's really not true? And, and a hard heart can grow inside of us where we believe that God can't change things. An unbelief and a hard heart thinking that God can't. God can't lead my neighbors to come to church with me. God, God can't work this kind of miracle. God can't save them. God can't do this in my life. That, that I just need to live with the truth that God can't do the things that God said he can do. I believe he's alive, but I really don't know if I can live out that he's alive. Now, listen to this because this is important. And we need to go back again to, to where we started here. Because there may be a couple of thoughts running through your mind now if this is a message poking you or poking you a little bit too hard. Thoughts of either pride or thoughts of shame. Pride of, that could never be me. I'm better than that. Or shame from a place that says, yeah, that hits a little too close to home. I'm weak and I'm a failure. But I want to remind you again, who was Jesus speaking to at the beginning of the verse? Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves. Friends, listen. If it can happen to them, they walked with him. They, they saw him heal people. They saw him walk on water. They saw him raise people from the dead. They lived with Jesus. They heard him speak. They saw him. They loved him. They saw him love. They saw him minister. And here they are. Jesus is calling them out for their unbelief and hard heart. And so if your heart says, that could never be me, it happened to them, it could happen to you. But if your heart says, that's me, I'm so weak, I'm such a failure, I feel so guilty, I feel so shameful, It could happen to you because it happened to them. That that is hopefully an encouragement for you this morning. That if, if you're thinking, oh, this, this is way, this is heavy. Should have stayed home from church today. Be encouraged. This, it happened to the disciples. And if it happened to them, it, it's going to happen to us too. It can happen to you. It happened to them it can happen to you. But for the disciples in that moment, when Jesus appeared, they discovered one thing really quickly. Despite their hard heart to the knowledge that Jesus was alive, despite the fact that they weren't sure what to do, that they had kind of started living like Jesus was dead, in this moment, one thing became very, very clear to them. Jesus was alive. 
That in that moment, all of their doubt, all of their, I don't know, I, I don't believe it, I can't understand. Jesus was there. He was alive. And church, this is the hope that we have. This is, this is the hope that we have, and it's the hope for the whole world. That not just that Jesus was alive, but that Jesus is alive. Church, may our hope be restored. And so what now? What, what, where are we at now? Jesus has appeared to them. He, he's rebuked them and said, you, you've had a hard heart. You, you've missed, and no matter what people told you, you didn't believe them. But now the disciples have discovered, whoops, we were wrong. Jesus is alive. And so, so what happens out of their stubborn refusal to live like their God was alive? Now, now what does Jesus have for them? Verse 15. And he, Jesus, said to them, the eleven, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. He says to them, go. Go and stop living like your God is dead. Stop living like you don't have a higher purpose. Stop living like you don't have a higher power. Stop living like you have no place to put your trust and your hope in. Stop reclining at the table and let's go. Let's live like your God is alive and at work in your life. And so what for us? What about the areas in our own lives where we have refused or been unable to live like our God is alive. What about us? Well, God says to, to me, and he says to you this morning, in, in, in each of our lives where there's areas where we just aren't sure that we're able to live with faith, God says to us today, stop living like I'm dead. Stop living like you can't trust me. Stop living like you have nowhere to turn for hope and provision. Stop living like you're afraid if, that, I, I, that I won't come through for you. And, and go live like your God is alive. Go from this place and let's live like our God is alive. Go and talk to your neighbors like God's going to make a difference. Go and invite them to church like God will work in them to come. Pray for people like God is going to make a difference. And go and believe in miracles that they're really real for today. Go and let's live our lives from a place like God is alive. But I, you, we, we have a choice to make. And that choice that will, that's literally going to affect every single moment of our lives and our walk with the Lord. Do we serve a God who is alive? Do we serve a God who will keep his promises? Do we serve a God who can perform miracles? Do we serve a God who makes a difference. We sang this morning about he's, he's the way maker, the promise keeper, the light, of, that he's all of these things. And even, even when I don't see it, he's working. And so we have a choice that we can sing these things and they're good and they're right to sing. And in that moment, it can stir us up to faith. But then when we leave and we get back into life, 
and we're not at church singing Waymaker anymore, are we still living from a place where he's our Waymaker? Let us make the choice today. God, let me live with everything I am. Everything. Even the things that I don't want to. Even the things I'm scared to. Even the things that the idea of stepping out in faith makes me worried and kind of makes me think I'm doing something stupid. Let me live even in those places like I live for a God who is alive again. Live like a God who is alive in my evangelism. Live like a God who is alive in his promises. Live like a God who is alive in his miracles. Live for a God who is alive in my hope. Live for a God who is alive in my trust. Live for a God who is alive in my finances. Live for a God who is alive in my neighbor's lives. Live like a God who is alive is working in me. We have a choice that's laid before us. Help us not to be found reclining at the table of life. But may God cause us to go and live for him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I am so grateful that as we read in your word and as we read the stories of your interactions with people, God, I thank you that time and again we come away with just this, this knowledge and this awareness of the grace you have on, on our lives. That, that even as the disciples had wandered away from you, God, and even as, as you, as their, their, their father, needed to come and rebuke them, God, I thank you that they were then charged with going from that place, that you continued to show grace on their lives, you continued to show mercy on their lives. You continued to offer to them the grace and the mercy that comes from our Heavenly Father. And so, God, I thank you that for each one of us here today, God, I thank you that that endless supply of grace and mercy in our lives, that grace and mercy that covers over every area of our lives, that covers over every place where we've, we've resisted or we've pushed back or maybe we've walled you off, God, I thank you that your grace and mercy extends to each one of us. And so, God, I pray that you would help us in this moment where, where maybe you've poked us or prodded us this morning. God, that we would come from this place in this moment not full of shame, not full of guilt, not full of fear, not full of, oh, man, I've messed up. Can God really forgive me? But God, I pray that in this moment we would be filled with hope. We would be filled with trust. We would be filled with grace. We would live from a place where we would be able to say, I know that my God is alive because I experience his grace and his mercy in my life every day. And God, I pray that that grace and that mercy, that truth, that, our, that you are alive, that our God is alive, God, may it affect every area of our lives. God, may we not be scared to speak for you. May we not be scared to live for you. May we not be scared to give for you. May we not be scared to be who you've called us to be because what if you can't do the things you've said you're going to do? 
But God, I pray that you would help us to be able to step out in faith, to love and to trust you, and to believe that the promises of God are yes and amen. God, help us to live by faith. Help us to walk by faith and not by sight. Help us to live the life that you've called us to live. God, we're so grateful for your mercy and grace on our lives. We're so grateful for the opportunity to be in fellowship with you. We're so grateful that you're for your grace and mercy that allows us to stay there, that allows us to live from that place. And God, we're so grateful for the opportunity that we have to go into all the world, to preach the gospel, to live out our faith. God, thank you for your faith and your trust in us. And God, we pray that we would live abandoned lives full of faith and trust in you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. When my troubles are a little too heavy. Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family. And that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca. Or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on contact us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on our pastors from the Our Church drop down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family, we go. Whatever I like, you make it up, you're your kid.